the most startling finding at the era you mentioned, you've looked at quite a lot of our research. The one that scares me the most, you mentioned the, the, the number on how many employees actually feel uh, that they're connected to the culture of the organization. The, the one that scares me the most is when we actually pass that number by leaders and individual contributors. So the individual contributors were about 17 to 18% and leaders were at 39%. So there's a 22 odd percent gap. My problem is not the 22% gap. My problem is the 39%. Only 39% of leaders feel that they're connected to the culture of their organization. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice of the most important conversations on the future of work, confronting business leaders and people today. And as you know well by now, our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the ever-changing convergence of business, technology, and people. Googleization Nation, brace yourselves, because this week we're diving deep into the murky and tumultuous waters of, drumroll please, organizational culture. Before I go any further, let's start with the definition of culture. Something, it seems, has been studied to death, and yet we don't seem to be any further at figuring it out than we were when I entered this industry 30 years ago. But I read something from a recent article from today's guest. Culture is how we do things around here. My description, my description is this. It's an invisible glue that either holds an organization together or it turns it into a crumbling cookie. Now, you might just be thinking, here we go again. Another consultant, another podcast hyping, another theory about company culture. It's another model. Well you're going to want to keep listening because we've got stats and facts from one of the leading authorities on employee engagement and culture in the world. According to Gallup, only two people, two out of 10 employees, feel strongly connected to their organization's culture. That's right, two, as in you can count them on one hand and still have fingers left to snap along to your favorite song. And if you think that's shocking, McKinsey tells us that 70% of transformations fail. And can you guess why? Well, 70% of those failures are due to culture-related issues. So after the billions of dollars and probably trillions of dollars spent on transformative leadership, change management, employee engagement, that's just downright embarrassing and somewhat appalling. So we're going to address the elephant in the room today, also, uh, remote and hybrid work, which is one of the more transformative and disruptive forces impacting business today. But thankfully, Gallup is all over it, and we are grateful and humbled to have Vipas Ritanji, Gallup's senior practice leader, with us. We're going to be talking about what's the deal with all these culture change programs that seem to go wrong. But before we bring on Vivas to the Googleization stage, let's jump into the perfect labor storm, where each week we focus on a disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. So this survey just found its way into my inbox this morning, and it seems quite fitting for today's episode. The idea that work sucks is everywhere. There's something that's called the Joy Barometer. And the Joy Barometer survey asks one question. Overall, how joyfully do you feel you are living at present using a scale of zero to 10, where zero means not at all? Well, 66% of of the respondents said seven or less, and one third was five or less. Very few people gave it eight or higher. Now, this is consistent with something you've heard me quote many, many times, the Gallup State of the Workplace Survey, 2023, which indicates that six in 10 people are emotionally detached at work, 60%. 
and 18%, almost one out of five, are miserable. Only 23% are thriving at work. 59%, yes, this is still a thing, 59% are quiet quitting, and 18% are loud quitting. And get this, 51% of currently employed workers say they are watching for and actively seeking a new job, more than half. And if those numbers don't get your attention, maybe this one will. Gallup estimates that low engagement costs the global economy 8.8 trillion, that's with the T folks, trillion dollars, 8.8 trillion. That's 9% of global GDP, enough to make the difference between success and a failure of humanity. It feels like Gallup's kind of been an honorary member of Googleization Nation for some time now, given that their data, it comes up in nearly every episode that we've done the past few years. So I'm excited that we finally have one of their leaders, Vibhas Ratanji, Senior Practice Expert and Executive Advisor on the show today, because we want all of our listeners to hear these culture insights straight from the horse's mouth. I had the really good fortune of watching Vibhas speak at CultureCon in Madison, Wisconsin back in August. And I knew right away we needed him to come share his wisdom with our listeners. And as everyone will soon hear, he's a perfect blend of brilliance with a splash of humor, which, to be honest, we need when discussing some of these still pervasive culture issues that many organizations are still grappling with. And speaking of culture, I want to leave with this quote before welcoming Vibas to the, to the stage with us into the studio. So listen to this quote from the father of organizational culture, psychologist Edgar Sheen, who, by the way, just passed away this last January. This is what he said about culture. The only thing of real importance that leaders do is to create and manage culture. If you do not manage culture, it manages you. And you may not even be aware of the extent to which this is happening. Seems like a fitting quote as we welcome Vibhas to the show and we get things started today. So without further ado, let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to today's guest from Gallup, Vibhas Radanji. It's a pleasure being on the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Jason and Ira. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've got a lot of meaty stuff to get into, right? We shared a lot of your data from Gallup of what's going on culture-wise. But before we get into that stuff, we always like to start with just getting to know you a little bit. Why did you really start getting interested in organizational culture? What was your path that got you here? I've been doing this for a fairly long time, almost 25 years. And um, my beginnings was actually in advertising. I, I did my graduation and post-graduation in advertising and knew very soon that what I'm really, what I was really interested in was human behavior. And uh, went on to market research and did a lot of that work for, for, for a time. And then for the past 23 years, I've actually been working with Gallup. Uh, and I think, uh, as you mentioned, Gallup is the primary source of insights when it comes to human behavior. So I think it made perfect sense. Along the line, I actually worked uh, um, in uh, driving in organizations a culture of service excellence. I was doing a lot of work around service excellence and defining service values that went on to helping organizations define their purpose and value statements and so on. And that naturally led to kind of culture, which is... Uh, such an interesting topic. And like Ira, you said, there, there are probably as many people, uh, as many definitions of culture as there are people trying to define it. So I think it tends to be such an amorphous, superfluous concept, but it requires a lot of definition for leaders to be successful. So I've been kind of a culture nerd for, I guess, more than 20 years. That's great. And to come from the advertising side, I'm sure today, a lot of our listeners, you're going to get some advertising verbology and ways to create your culture to advertise to prospective employees, folks that you're trying to attract. Absolutely. And one of the things that, that Ira and I, um, we sometimes hear from other guests, but we also hear from folks that we just chat with. Sometimes they're shocked when they hear these data on how bad we're still struggling with culture across the board. There are many organizations that are doing it well, but the data are pretty clear that there's still a lot of organizations struggling with it. So I guess maybe to, to kind of kick us off here is, um, Tell us what, why, why are we still struggling so much? Um, can, can we really trust those data when we have people that are saying, I don't, things really, I don't think things are really that bad still in organizations? Right. You know what? The presumption is that since the pandemic, that, that the pandemic caused everything, you know, the, the, the decrease in uh, employee engagement and so on. And we've had some dramatic shifts in terms of the way we work with hybrid working being such an important 
shift we're seeing. Uh, we we do a larger research. Of course, we do a lot of work in the workplace area. But at, at Gallup, we do a poll in 150 countries. And similar to Ida, you, you talked about the joint barometer. So we actually, in 150 countries, <clears throat> measured something we call the negative experience index. And uh, this is a this is experienced negativity, whether it's sadness, worry, anger, loneliness, and so on. The number right now uh, globally is about close to about 33% of those negative experiences. Now, you might say, oh, of course, the pandemic, you know, I mean, it's just been so tumultuous. But the rise of global unhappiness predates the pandemic. It's been rising for a really long time. And so is uh, employee engagement. Uh, so these are not new. These are factors that have been part of the workplace and humanity for a very long time. It's what you do about it. It's, it's how you kind of create a difference. A lot of companies do employee surveys, of course, you know, to gain uh, some insights around what the employees are, are doing. But there's a, there's a knowing and doing gap, right? You know, you, you know everything, you kind of do the survey, you put it on the shelf, and then you revisit it next year when, you, when it's time to do the survey again. A lot of our work with uh, organizations, best practice companies, it's uh, translating insights into action. That's a leadership responsibility. So, Vibhas, and, and Amartya, you have so much data, and, and I, I've downloaded so many reports that you have, and, and I cite them often. So I might, I, I might conflate a few of them here, uh, but there, one is, if I'm correct, when we're talking about unhappiness or we're talking about disengagement, some of the questions that were asked were, were you angry yesterday? Were you stressed yesterday? Did you have physical pain yesterday? I mean, so these are some very, very basic questions. I mean, we're, we're, we're not, you know, they're, they're, they're not deep and they're not complex. It's like, hey, did you hurt yesterday? Did you feel stressed yesterday? Did you feel anxious yesterday? Did you feel angry yesterday? Mm -hmm. am, am I correct? Those are the questions yeah, that go into this absolutely. unhappiness, yeah, yeah. which is scary because if I'm, if I recall, again, and I may be citing the global or the U.S. number, but it's like one in five people were angry, admitted to being angry yesterday. There is a, a pandemic of loneliness, you know, I mean, and that I think is uh, uh, perhaps a direct result. And I do a lot of work in healthcare, uh, you know, and when you look at those people who are actually actively working, but there, there are ways in which we can mend it. You know, I mean, I remember working for a, for a hospital system where during the peak of the pandemic, you know, obviously you can imagine the healthcare workers being so stressed out and, and all everything we mentioned, loneliness and anger and denial and all of that, right? But there was one company I worked with, one organization who uh, tried to put more of a positive focus. And, you know, in healthcare, they do a lot of rounding and huddles. And this particular hospital system did huddles, but they call them hope huddles. So instead of talking about how many people kind of got on ventilators in the peak of the pandemic, they, they actually met for 15 minutes in the morning and talked about those folks who got off ventilators and they call them hope huddles. So I think uh, having kind of an appreciative mindset is critical because there's a lot of bad news everywhere. But focusing on solutions requires a strengths-based positive mindset and, and behaviors. So as, as organizations, if you're actually articulating, not just kind of what I call not the root cause analysis of failure, but defining the root cause analysis of success. So all that bad news, there's a lot that organizations and leaders can do about it. The most startling finding at the era you mentioned, you've looked at quite a lot of our research. The one that scares me the most, you mentioned the, the, the number on how many employees actually feel uh, that they're connected to the culture of the organization. The, the one that scares me the most is when we actually pass that number by leaders and individual contributors. So the individual contributors were about 17 to 18% and leaders were at 39%. So there's a 22 odd percent gap. My problem is not the 22% gap. My problem is that 39%, only 39% of leaders feel that they're connected to the culture of their organization. I expect that to be 100%. I mean, you shouldn't be a leader if you don't know how you're defining, listening and creating a connection with culture. That surprises me and that shocks me. So the job really is to start with leadership. To, to make yeah. this work. Don't look at employees and say, you've got to change your behaviors and you've got to show up differently to work and, and show up uh, and work differently as you know, with the hybrid environment. I think leaders need to really look at their own, uh, their own perspectives and how they drive performance and cultural belonging. Yeah, I mean, that's like looking at, at the survey. And, and again, it's, it's right. a congratulations and it's a steep lift. It's a heavy lift for these organizations. 
but uh, you know our, uh, the employee engagement scores you know reached an all-time high i think 33 percent last year and it's like you know let's celebrate the 33 percent it was up from 31 and, and 29 yeah. but 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 it's still 67 percent are are not engaged. That's so right. I, I wanted to I want to just differentiate this because I this this really transformed the way I looked at in that I personally looked at engagement before as well. So you you measure engagement, but you also measure thriving. And it was pretty startling. And again, I, I don't think I think this might have been the 2022 data, but and, and but I think it was nine percent of employees were engaged and thriving and 57% were not engaged and not thriving. Yeah, yeah, that's shocking, isn't it? Oh, it's, and, it's terrifying. <laughs> and I think they kind of go hand in hand because when you think about engagement, it's in the workplace. The questions we use are about how, I mean, I don't really call them questions. You know, there are 12, there are, we call it the Q12. I, I call them uh, conditions. So are there conditions that actually drive performance? So kind of when we talk about Q12 or engagement, we talk about it not as a survey, but as a management framework. And there's a difference between the two. Uh, but well-being is much larger. And it's interesting, a lot of clients that I work with are actually kind of using well-being as a prime metric, which I think they should. You know, we have a question we ask, highly predictive question, is does your company care about your well-being? And uh, the numbers are dismal. Uh, I mean, and we've been doing it for a really long time. It's not just the pandemic a decade of data around that. Here's what we saw, which is very interesting. So it was trudging along around 24% for many years and the pandemic hit. What happened? 47%. I'm, I think my company cares about my well-being. That makes sense, right? Because right in the pandemic, people were like, of course we care for you and we are over-communicating and we are, you know, take care of yourself and so on. 45% and so huge lift. It didn't take, uh, it took less than, I think a year and a half for it to come crashing down. To the same number 20 21 right so here's what it is there's a lot of promises that companies are making around well-being but they're not really walking the talk or talking the talk once the pandemic is gone we've gone back to old behaviors around uh, stress and overwork i mean burnout and overwork it's i hear from leaders at and managers and employees that it's actually worse than it was before after the pandemic and Vibhas, you, you kind of touched on this a little bit. I think this is starting to segue into this concept of hybrid work, remote work coming into the office, that it still seems like a lot of organizations and people are tr still trying to find like a healthy balance of what that looks like in their life. And I remember at CultureCon, you were talking about Gallup's data on it. I believe they were called splitters and blenders. Yeah. So basically, yeah. people kind of fit in two categories in terms of how they work. Can you explain splitters and blenders to us sure, when it comes sure. to work and the implications for maybe how that's impacting what we're seeing from a stress level with people? Yeah, uh, and I think this this bit of research is quite interesting. So uh, people who are splitters are have definitions around the time that they're at work and then the time that's personal time. A blender is somebody who can, you know, kind of create their own, individualize their own kind of working style based on what the manager wants, the company wants, and the customer wants, but they could be working at different times and so on. For example, me, I'm, I'm a splitter. You know, I can work a little bit in the morning and I can do some reports in the evening and so on. What we found interesting was that when we kind of looked at the analysis in terms of what proportion is blenders versus splitters, it was 50-50, which I find, find interesting because, you know, we also looked at it by different levels. We looked at it by generations. So is there a difference? Of course, you know, the younger generations it's likely that they'll most of them will be blenders and so on. It was very close to 50-50 for even uh, younger generations like Gen Z and millennials. So this, I think there are a lot of assumptions that leaders make around what the ideal work arrangement should be. Uh, we know that hybrid working uh, essentially is something that's pretty much taking over. You know, about 52% of uh, remote capable employees, so employees who can work uh, remotely, 52% right now are working hybrid. And the preference for kind of hybrid and remote is about nine in 10. Nine in 10 employees, remote capable employees. Of course, we're not talking about those who have to be on site like healthcare professionals and manufacturing and so on. But about nine in 10 do want you know, to work either in a hybrid uh, or a remote uh, preference. But I think a lot of leaders want them to come back to work. You know? So that there's the other kind of issue and, and friction there. But it's, you know, you've got to, You've got to move away from rules to reasons. The, the right question is not this is the rule and you've got to be there because that's the rule, that's the office policy, and that's the way we roll now. 
what are the reasons why people actually want to work in a hybrid environment? Are we asking those questions? Because at the end of the day, it is about individualization. You know, there are, I've known many leaders and managers who actually have worked much more. The productivity has gone up because of a hybrid setup, including me. You know, and I spend most of my time with clients anyway, so I'm, I'm traveling a, a whole lot. So I think leaders, instead of that insistence of office policy, I mean, there can be an exception policy, of course, but the rest of it is individualization. So I think the whole thing about asking questions to understand, are you a blender or are you a splitter? You know, how can I individualize? You know, how you work. It's, the question is not, do you walk into work? The question is, how can you be most productive? irrespective of where you're working and how you're working. I don't think those questions are being asked because there's a preference for some people to grab and get more people to walk through the doors. Our research shows us, and we made this prediction a while ago at the beginning of the pandemic. Our prediction was that about there'll be about a 37% reduction overall of time in office. 37% of seats will be empty. And we were right. That's pretty much what we're seeing now, uh, three years or, or so uh, after the pandemic. Now, instead of kind of changing it and re revoking to old habits, we have to navigate it for what it is. You have to work with this new reality rather than going against it. I think that's that's the key there. I love the individualization part. And I can just speak from my personal story and journey in this change of work environment of the answer for me is it depends whether I want to mm -hmm. be in an office or whether I want to work from home. My context is I have four boys under the age of nine. And so there's days where it can be really challenging when they're all here at home to be able to get work done because of the number of distractions. But on that day, I've got to be a blender, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I'm going to do a couple of hours of work here. Then I got to do some stuff to help the family, help the kids. Then I'll get back to work. So it's kind of more of a start and stop. Most days, my preferred mode is once I get going, my focus and attention, I'm more like an aircraft carrier. It's like, let me keep heading that direction without paying a mental tax of shifting back and forth. And I can't help but think, as you were just sharing the difference between splitters and blenders, if maybe there's some people that, yeah, they, they do like a lot of the freedoms that comes with it. I do of working remotely, but it can be a challenge, too, on certain days when there's yeah, things that, you know, are work disruptions. And so then that means later on in the evening, then that's when you got to play some some catch up. And I can't help but, but think that those are some pretty big factors that certainly not my experiences and everyone else's. But at least for people that are in this demographic of young parents, I'm guessing they would share probably similar stories as to how yeah. it's been challenging trying to have your foot in both waters. And we have the data to prove it because we know that hybrid employees right now are the most engaged in terms of engagement with the organization. Guess who's the least engaged? On-site. Least engagement overall. So hybrid is kind of the the new way. We did some research to kind of figure out, so what, what, is, what is ideal hybrid? And uh, it, that was interesting because we, we kind of obviously measure engagement to see, okay, number of days, and, you know, how many days is actually peak. And we found out uh, the magic number is three. Uh, if you actually have three days on site and if you're hybrid, uh, that seems to have the most impact on engagement. And there are two days you want to avoid. You want to avoid manic Mondays. That doesn't work if you're in the office. You want to avoid freaky Fridays. They should be more like flexible Fridays, if you may. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, hybrid. But here's the key and here's the kicker. It's not about kind of saying, okay, hybrid, we'll let you be in the office and for two or three days and that's good enough. You can work from home for the rest. It's what employees are doing when they are walking into work. And I've been to a lot of client sites where I see people are working hybrid. They're in the office and they're still on Zoom meetings with each other uh, the other way down the hall, you know, and like, that's not good use of hybrid. You know, maybe we asked hybrid employees, what do they value the most about, about working hybrid? And they said it's uh, collaboration. Uh, so I think uh, hybrid are culture opportunities. It's the, the opportunity to build culture. If you're walking into work, your manager is not there. You get on a few Zoom meetings and Teams meetings, and then you leave without having a connection with working with someone, solving a customer problem, creating engagement, coaching and coaching your team members, then you just lost opportunity. So it's not about how many days you're at work, it's what you're doing when you're hybrid and, and whether you're actually maximizing what you can do and your strengths there. I, I love that you said that, Vibas, because I, I was at a conference a few weeks ago, uh, or actually a few months ago now, and I was speaking and I shared that the story, we we're talking hybrid engagement, uh, uh, we, we talked about uh, the uh, you know, basically culture. 
And um, somebody came up to me and said, you know, I walked in to an office yesterday and walked down the hallway and I was shocked. There was no one there. It was the whole department. And he said, this is, you know, there must be a meeting. Something must be going on. And so she heard a voice and she looked and she saw there was a door cracked and somebody was on the screen. All 10 rooms were occupied with people talking to each other in the <laughs> office yeah. on Zoom yeah. meeting. Yeah, they were they were still in their office doing that. Um, yeah. You know, it, so uh, th this whole debate about engagement and uh, hybrid work and you can't develop that. Uh, that. You know, I said this before. I said it put management and leadership to the test. Mm -hmm. And and frankly, similar to what we're talking about is like the pandemic didn't cause these low engagement scores and low thriving scores and, and, and high negative happiness, happiness scores. It just ripped it just ripped the, the curtain back. It's like the Wizard of Oz. And you realize that it was never really, really good before. People were good in engagement before. And yes, remote doing things through a screen are a little bit more challenging. But they weren't very good before, and they just showed how bad they were. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to take a, a, a short break here. But I, I, when we come back, we want to do two things. One is we want to talk about why should anybody care. So we're talking about all these scores and the negativity and 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 the low engagement. So uh, you have some tremendous case studies of why companies should care. But the other thing is we, we a couple of weeks ago, we had, uh, we've been interviewing a lot of people. My focus uh, recently has been, uh, a part of my focus has been on the neuroscience. How can, you know, what we've learned about our brains and a lot of the things that we learned were, were myths. And we, we continue <laughs> to manage according to myth uh, rather than fact. But they they talked about the, this one neuroscientist was talking about Gallup, the employee engagement score, and sort of looking at it that it's a retrospective. It, it's it's a survey of how they felt yesterday rather than how they felt right now and going forward. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to get your take on that. Want to know where you're going because I'm I'm sure you're you're at, there, there's things behind the scenes that you're doing, uh, especially with neuroscience. Because I saw your head shaking, I'm, I'm sure related to that. And I think that's you know that's going to be super critical. It, he actually has uh, there's a tool they have. It's called Tuesday. It's an immersion, and they during the show he actually raised it and said how engaged he was in this conversation. And I can tell you if I add that on right now. We would be in the 90s. We would be very, very high engagement, uh, and hopefully the same to you. And I'm sure our listeners are uh, hopefully getting the same out of this conversation that we are. But we're going to take a short break. We're with Vivas Ratanji from Gallup, talking about one of our favorite subjects: employee engagement, employee experience, thriving at work, company culture, Googleization, all those things. Uh, we will be right back in a minute. But before we do that, I just wanted to remind everybody, and you might have seen the banner going before, not remind anybody, announce to everybody because we didn't do it yet. In addition to being on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn live, and on all the podcasts, being in the top one and a half percent of all the podcasts, top hundred of Apple, uh, we are now on Roku. So anybody who has a Roku TV, they can do that. If you don't have Roku, you can actually go to FAM TV, F-A-M-T-V plus plus.com. And our shows are now on replay on Roku and fam plus or fam TV plus.com. So we'll, we'll be everywhere. We'll be everywhere. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are your employees feeling stuck and just showing up for a paycheck? Is your workforce working harder to get back to normal than adapting to the future? It's time to help them break their addiction to certainty and develop a growth mindset. Developed by one of the world's top-rated future of work thought leaders, AQ Plus Mindset is a powerful tool to help your employees embrace change, adapt faster, and grow on the job. Conveniently delivered to any smartphone or laptop and easy to digest 5-10 to 10 minute lessons, managers can sit back and watch employee attitude shift towards growth and innovation in just 30 days. Are you ready to help your employees thrive in this ever-changing, never-normal world? Encourage them to show more grit, resilience, adaptability, and unlock their potential? The journey to a growth-filled future starts with a growth mindset. Visit aqplusmindset.com or call 484-373-4300.
Welcome back to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We're Vivhas Ratanji from Gallup, having a fascinating conversation <coughs> on a highly engaging, speaking of engagement, highly engagement uh, conversation, talking about employee engagement, company culture, uh, people, how to make, uh, I don't know if we'll ever create joy at work, but at least we won't create as many negative experiences as, we're, as we uh, have been. Uh, going there. Vibhas, when we uh, left off, we're going to talk, let's tackle this first, is why should companies care? I, I know, you know, this whole thing, I mean, hey, wages are going up, people are getting paid more benefits, hey, we're giving people some flexibility, we're doing a couple things, it's not ratcheting the scores up a whole lot, so why should there be more of a concerted effort? Why why should companies? <clears throat> and I mentioned earlier that uh, you know the survey that we have uh, engagement survey we we call it more of a management framework of sorts because I think uh, one thing we need to to make sure is that everything you do around research around employees is predictive of future success. So you're looking at engagement as a leading indicator. It's not a lagging indicator. And there's a lot of lagging indicators that leaders look at uh, performance. And, profit and so on. These are all lagging indicators. You know, they've, they've happened already. Engagement of customers and employees, these are leading indicators, but it's the questions you ask and whether they're predictive or not. So our research uh, actually, and, and we've, we've talked to millions of employees and we've actually correlated the results of what they're saying to business outcomes. And across a whole range of business outcomes, we've seen connections to these 12 conditions that I talked about. And that's why we don't call them survey questions and business outcomes and turnover, customer satisfaction. It's 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 absolutely amazing when I work with healthcare and I see the connection between engagement and mortality. So if you were to think about in hospital systems and hospitals where you have high levels of engagement, they're actually saving more lives. So there's a lot of reasons there. There are business reasons, of course, for uh, why investing in engagement is important and a whole host of metrics show us that that's the case. But there are other reasons as well. You know, you're, you're doing it because you care for your employees at the end of the day. And I think that's important. And, and uh, like I said, in healthcare, you're saving lives. So <clears throat> there's certainly a, a business outcome or statistical linkages that Gallup can talk about. You know, we've done tremendous amounts of meta-analysis across different data sets to actually come up with those conclusions. And organizations who've done that, uh, you said some best practice case studies, I don't know that I can name names here, but there are quite a few organizations, uh, you know, who've done that exceptionally well. We call them the Gallup Great Workplace Award winners. And I, you mentioned engaged being around 30-odd percent, that's true, about 32 percent for the U.S. It's about 23 percent globally in terms of engagement. Uh, for these best practice organizations, those numbers are above 70 percent. Imagine walking into a workplace where, which is 70 to 75% engaged, and you'll see the difference. You walk into a retail store, which is 70% engaged, and you'll see the difference not just in how employees are, you'll also see it in how customers are in terms of that brand becoming a, a much-loved brand. You know, I talked about the decrease in uh, employee engagement since the pandemic. We've seen the single largest decline on employee engagement than we've ever seen since we started measuring many years ago. But guess what else we saw? I don't know whether you guys are familiar with the American Customer Satisfaction Index. It's an index that I think they're 28 years. They've been doing it. It's a satisfaction metrics across industries. We see almost a similar drop in the American Customer Satisfaction Index, which hasn't changed in 28 years. So that's telling you something. That's telling you that there is a direct connection. And our research at Gallup, we've done a lot of that. There is a direct question, a connection between employee engagement and uh, customer engagement. But the one part that gets overlooked is the role of the manager uh, in, in driving that. So what we're really saying here is if you want to drive outcomes, performance, and customer outcomes, focus on your managers. Why? Because they create employee engagement. 70% of the variance on employee engagement is the manager. We wrote a book a long time ago. It's called First Break All the Rules. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's a, it's a legendary book. And uh, the numbers on engagement, and we talked about the role of the manager, very important and so on. And we look at the numbers now, it's the same. So we wrote another book a few years ago and it's called It's the Manager. So almost we're telling people, it's the manager, folks, or it's the manager, stupid. Uh, and, but I think that's the key. It's like, are you investing in your managers to be able to create engagement or are you just putting together a bunch of recognition policies, employee of the month, and hoping that your employees will be happy with you? So 
really a focus on manager is key there. Vibash, you bring up an interesting thing there when you talked about you can feel the difference in organizations that have like the 70% of people engaged. Like if you're a customer and you walk in, you can be like, okay, this place, they get it. There's something here about, about their culture that makes it strong. But in one of your articles, I think this is a fascinating angle that you took. Sometimes maybe organizations may overemphasize a particular aspect of their culture and there's an unintended consequence from just focusing on that one aspect of the culture when there might be some other ingredients that they need to focus on. And the example you gave was of a professional services firm that was highly collaborative. So that part of their culture was like A plus outstanding. But because they were so narrowly focused on being a collaborative culture, Gallup found that in the work that you're doing with them, you found that they were really struggling with adaptability, mm -hmm. with agility, with the ability to make quicker decisions because they were overdoing maybe the collaboration piece too much. So can you speak a little bit to us in terms of engagement and culture rather intertwined? Yeah. How is it that sometimes we might actually overdo our strengths in our culture and not pay attention to some of the other things that are important that we need to improve? Yeah. And yeah, that was a great case study in an organization we worked with. And I, I kind of call it the push and pull of culture because culture is very complex and it's nuanced and it's multidimensional. It's not, I mean, typically when, when leaders talk about culture, they talk about the core values. Like this is who we are, this is how we operate and so on. And culture is a lot more complex than just a bunch of words on a wall, you know. Uh, it's behaviors we're talking about. And, and with this organization, it was interesting. Besides that, there were many other elements at play. You won't know those elements unless you actually go in and study culture in an organization. So the first step is actually to almost, we call it a culture audit, to kind of go in and say, hey, what's your culture about? What it is and what it's not. And you'll find a, a lot of great insights just asking great questions about your culture, not just asking great questions. Uh, that's something that leaders don't do enough of is immersing themselves in the world of the employee and the world of the customer. I think there was some research, I wrote an article on this uh, a while ago where uh, I think CEOs spend less than 3% of their time, it was a Harvard Business Review article, uh, with customers. Now that's shocking, you know, because the higher you go on in this hierarchy, the, the far further away you are from the customer and you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with. So I think the push and pull of culture, you need to be able to understand that nuance. And um, I work with this uh, amazing organization, can't name them, but they did something really interesting. You know, typically when you kind of build a culture narrative, like this is who we are and a definition of that, you talk about uh, aspirational culture, which is you know, who we want to become. You know, it's not that we are right now, all this great stuff we're saying about ourselves. It's we, we, we want to become this, right? What the organization did was they talked about who we are and the behaviors that are great. And they also talked about behaviors that they should limit, which I, th I thought was really interesting. And this a lot, it takes a lot of courage to say, these are some, you know, the, if you're a Star Wars fan, these are the light side and this is the dark side of our culture, which we should acknowledge, <laughs> right? It's, it's like one of the things I think that they mentioned was, you know, we focus on perfectionism. Now, if you're trying to be very kind of flowery with your language, you'll say strive for perfection is a cultural value and all of that. No, they say we actually we actually struggle with this because everything doesn't have to be perfect, you know, and then you have to work with it and you have to improvise and so on. So I think somewhere organizations need to get that realization that static definitions of culture are not enough, that they have to be dynamic, they have to be real, they have to be rooted in behaviors that you see both the the positive, the neutral, and the negative. And then bring that to the fore because, you know, like I said, culture is complex. You can't just, I always use this as an example. Um, you know, if you think about cultural values, respect, integrity, teamwork, and excellence. These are the four values of a fantastic, great organization. And then I tell them, uh, this is actually Enron. Remember Enron? Okay. <laughs> respect, integrity, teamwork, and excellence. <laughs> Nobody would say this is a bad organization. Yeah, so it's not about, it's like really get real and authentic about your culture. Acknowledge what you do really well and acknowledge where you're struggling. Employees will value that more than just a flowery language on your mission statement. How, I, I mentioned this right before our break and, and I wanna make sure we cover that because we're unfortunately we're running out of time. How has neuroscience, how, how is the, uh, the, the advance of neuroscience, what we've learned, how people actually how their brain works when we're engaged, when they're thriving, when they're joyful, when they're happy or unhappy. How has that impacted your ability to, or, or 
not your, well, not your approach and your ability to to uh, get more accurate, more predictive information. Hmm. So we work with quite a few uh, economists and psychologists, I and mean, the one that we work with quite extensively and have worked with quite extensively is Danny Kahneman, who's a Nobel Prize winner yeah. in economics. So he's not even an economist; he's actually a psychologist. Yeah. Uh, first psychologist to actually get a Nobel Prize in economics. My personal favorite, as far as the the brain science is concerned, is Joseph Ledoux, in terms of synaptic self and you know all that all the stuff that he's done. We've done some interesting work there. So I, I'll talk about it from the customer perspective. You know, it's what matters to a customer is you almost need to do. So we actually had customers. We actually had an fMRI machine, and we actually can you imagine the stuff that Gallup does is sticking people into fMRI machine and asking them a bunch of questions yeah. about their, their favorite brands, and and we were trying to look at those brain scans and so on. What we tried to see was again behavior and and memory around what creates uh, a sense of engagement, right? And and create a sense of engagement is defined as those parts of your brain that light up uh, when you ask certain questions. And we found out that uh, you know when we asked certain questions. Uh, the amygdala lit up, which is the emotional center of the brain, right? So it's about association and it's about the emotional connections you have. So a lot of the questions that we've created are tested to be emotionally focused. So we have a question like, um, do you have a best friend at work? It's one of our more controversial questions, uh, which is like, why are you asking that kind of question? What kind of question is that? Why? Because we've seen that it matters. If you have an emotional connection with someone at work, may not be your manager, uh, and we've actually looked at statistical, scientific uh, research that backs that up. Uh, you'd rather ask that question than a question like, do you like the food in the canteen? Uh, <laughs> you know. So I think with neuroscience, what's happening is that how the brain reacts to emotional stimulus, uh, and I'm not, and 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 then by by valuing that emotional connection that people have with workplaces and with brand, and making the right decisions as leaders to drive the emotional economy. That's more important than, you know, just business as usual, let's, let's get profits high and all that. You can't do that because emotional engagement is predictive of your financial economy. So invest in the emotional economy and the financial economy will take care of itself. There, there is so much there to, to, go, to go down. The one thing that comes to mind is in, in just a few weeks, um, Michael Platt, who's uh, head of uh, research at the uh, University of Pennsylvania will be on. I actually took a course with him over the summer certificate course at Wharton. And they did a great study with, uh, with, with the branding uh, with Apple and Samsung. And, uh, you know, with Apple, people re responded favorably. They heard Apple, they were engaged, the, the parts of the brain lit up. With, the, with Samsung, they actually negatively lit up when they heard the word Apple, or <laughs> was a negative association with them. And, and what they found out about the branding was that Apple people were engaged. They were enthusiastic. They were part of a community where Samsung was anti-Apple. The people, the reason that people yeah. stayed, went to Samsung or the people that stay at work is because they're anti going to someplace else. Yeah, that's yeah, really Which is not a good reason to, to have them there. So a bunch of, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. a bad call. Professor, <laughs> Professor Kahneman's research and our research uh, suggests that when it comes to decision-making, 70% of decision-making is emotional. Yeah, but we spend most of our time on the thirty percent, which is rational. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because it's messy. I mean, dealing with the emotional stuff is messy for leaders. So, but it's really important. It's critical. It's predictive of future success. Yeah, I, I mentioned before about the the watch and and what um, Paul Zach did was being they were able to 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 take the the readings from the FR fMRIs or F, yeah F R fMRI fMRI yeah <laughs> too many too many letters in my head at the moment. They were able to take the the uh, the data from there and correlate it to what he was able to measure through uh, an app to that. So, yeah, yeah we're advancing that. We don't have to put everybody yeah. in an effort. I, I, I do have a point to make there. I think that's an interesting point you mentioned about the role that technology will play increasingly in driving engagement, whether it's through wearables and, you know, what they're calling augmented reality and so on. I wrote an article on this uh, and I call it the augmented uh, leadership or augmented humanity. You know, I mean, I think... At the end of the day, 70% of the of decision making is emotional. You'll have to work with people, uh, you know, and, and technology can enable you. But at the end of the day, it's personal, emotional connections matter more than technology enabled 
interface. <laughs> yeah. I was just on a panel just last week and we talked about that with AI and we had our fears of AI taking the job. And it was a group of um, actually, it was interesting, it was called the Broadcasting Pioneers. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people that were, you know, there was, there was half the group that was pioneering and the half the group was anti-pioneering. But, you know, one of the things that came up was with, with AI. And one of my responses to one of the questions was, AI is a tool. Yeah. It, 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 AI is a tool. It helps, it helps make you, you more human, makes you better at, at what you do. And people think it's, it's an either or, it's a binary choice. It's either man or machine. And right. it can be man and machine because it's a great tool. It certainly helped, you know, ChatGPT and not even out a year, but has helped me in tremendous ways become better at, at doing you know a, a lot of things that I was good at or okay at before but it's it's helped me a great deal so mm-hmm. there's there's ways to use it and there's ways to misuse it like everything else um, unfortunately we are coming up to pretty close to our end we can be taught we, we can continue this all day long if you <laughs> if you had time with us but there's one question we always like to, to close this segment with which is is there something that we should have asked you that we didn't? There's a lot of questions we we should have asked, you, but we we just ran out of time. But is there one particular one that you wish we would have asked? I think we covered a lot of ground, Ira. So I'm not sure. Uh, well, well, yeah. well, we'll take that if we if if, as long, <laughs> if if we can get our guests to say this is good. We covered a lot. Um, we'll, we'll take that. Yeah, Gallup research is unending. We are we are committed to just listening to uh, the workplace. Uh, for a fairly long, long time. And, uh, you know, we do this quarterly. We're, we're listening every day to employees and to customers and to, to people in general. So there's a lot of great insight that's coming and it's it's free to use. You go to gallup.com and you just talk, type in a topic that you want uh, insights and intelligence on and it's there. That's our commitment to, uh, to making us all stronger. Well, and Ira and I, you probably would notice our IP address. I, IP address is there every day. If we gave those to you, you'd be like, who is it from Pennsylvania and Indiana that's on here every day spending hours looking at this data? It's such good stuff. Yeah, you it can was just, wonderful to you can just add another G to G Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. It's Gallup Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Absolutely. New uh, new alliteration. <laughs> I love it, Vivas. Well, the next segment we're going to do is we get ready to wrap up. We just want to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level sure. and help the listeners too. Because um, obviously there's professional Vibhas. We want to get to know the personal Vibhas a little bit more too. So let's start with this one. What is something that people wouldn't guess about you? Like a hidden talent or something where they'd be like, well, that kind of surprises me about Vibhas. That's cool. I'm an amateur cartoonist. So I actually used to do a fair bit of cartooning and I even had a, a strip a long time ago, which was only online. But you know, a lot of people don't know that about me. Well, that's cool. So we got to learn a little bit more about that and dig into it. What was it about? What was the the characters? The it theme? was it was about the workplace. <laughs> it was a Dilbert, <laughs> kind, a Dilbert knockoff, is what I call it. <laughs> didn't I was about really to say you're probably the Dilbert creator then, and you're just you're just uh, playing coy with us and being humble. Yeah. That is very cool. We'll have to see if we can get some samples from you sometime. We'd love to see that. Sure. Yeah. How about this one? If there was one person in the history of the world that you could spend the day with and learn from or chat with, who would it be? You think? My all-time hero is Bruce Springsteen, the boss. Uh, and, you know, just in terms of uh, the sage from New York, New Jersey, it's, it's just he is there's such a plethora of life lessons and learning about uh, working hard and about <clears throat> persevering. It's just I would love to spend any time I can do with, uh, with the boss there. I love that. That's cool. And that kind of almost answers another question we often ask, which is who is your favorite band or musician? And it sounds like probably the boss if He's not it, half, at least be up there. Yeah, if I can spend half a day, half a day with the boss and the rest of it with Led Zeppelin, I that I can die, <laughs> I can die happy. <laughs> I love that. Led that Zeppelin in their prime, awesome. not not the way they are now. You know, Led Zeppelin <laughs> right. in, their, in their prime. That's awesome. And then and then one more. Let's say that you had like one wish on a genie's lamp, and it had to be an experience like some kind of experience that you would go and do, what would be at the top of like your bucket list to something that you'd want to go do? Money is no object. Money is no object. You get a wish. You get to do anything that you want. Spend a day in the International Space Station and look at the look at the planet from up there. I like it. That's awesome. Very cool, Vivas. Thank you so much for, for doing our lightning round with us. Let us get to know you a little bit better and help the listeners as well. Obviously, you are a leader at Gallup, and so folks can go to gallup.com 
But are there any other places where people can connect with you and learn more about the incredible work that you all are doing at Gallup? Connect with me on LinkedIn. I mean, I, I post a lot of stories. I post a lot of research, everything new that's coming in from Gallup and articles and so on. Go to gallup.com. Like I said, there's such a plethora of research and insights right there. Uh, we write articles very often. And, uh, you know, gallup.com is your one-stop shop in terms of insights and analytics about the workplace. I highly encourage everybody to visit our website. Perfect. Well, Vibas, thank you so much for sharing part of your day with us and with our listeners. It's absolutely incredible. It went by way too quickly, and hopefully we can get you back on again in the future. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Ditto on that, Vibas. I appreciate it. So happy and grateful that your voice held out. Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for that. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch. But uh, yeah, what a, what a, a highly engaging uh, opportunity to, to have a conversation. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely love to have you back again. Sounds good. Cheers. I love, Ira, that Vibhas said there really isn't anything else to cover. We covered almost everything. And we did. That went by quickly. What were some of the big takeaways or aha moments for you today? Well, I'll, 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 I'll argue with both of you. I think there's a whole lot more to cover. <laughs> so this, but we, we did cover a lot of territory in that 45 minutes. Uh, I, yeah, I think just uh, a, a lot of confirmation. I, the, the one stat that he brought up earlier, and again, you know, it seems to be the trend. I believe it was like 39% of, of leaders. I had not heard that one before. Third, only 39% of leaders are, are actually engaged, you know, with their culture, which is just shocking. And it's like, hey, you know, I mean, it was 18% higher than the employees, but how could you have, how could you possibly, you know, have, a, have a, almost six out of 10 leaders not engaged? Yeah, it's a, and the, my hypothesis is maybe they're so busy with the other stuff that they don't get to the culture, but it's like, you need to reverse. You need to get the other stuff set first. Otherwise, eventually you're going to burn out and things are going to crash down if you don't have the good, solid foundation set. Yeah, leaders um, lead. <laughs> right. The, the other part to me that was really eye-opening today, too, is when we we're talking about return to the office mandates. And Vivas was talking about how, sadly, what those mandates look like for an employee in a lot of industries is they go into the office, they shut their door, they hop on their computer, and then they're on Zoom calls for most of the day. It's not like there's this rich collaboration, this rich person-to-person -person connection type stuff that's going on, which are the real reasons to get people on a hybrid schedule so that you are doing that stuff. It's because leaders just want people under their thumb uh, when it gets down to the brass tacks. You know, it was just interesting to hear him lay it out as most of these places that are doing RTO, their people are coming in and it's not like they're engaging or getting any kind of additional value whatsoever. They're literally doing the exact same thing, activities and behaviors that they'd be doing at home. So that's just a, an important reminder also. We want to thank you, Googleization Nation, for tuning in today. If you haven't liked or subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms, please do so. We're also on YouTube. Give us a follow on Instagram as well. And until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. Remember, you can also now get us, watch us on Roku or famtvplus.com, either one. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans. Thanks for listening to Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. This show was produced and edited by Hilton Productions.